0: so here you are 25 incarcerated for life how did you make the necessary steps to get out of the gang lifestyle being so surrounded by truly only gangs and living with you know somebody who is a part of your your place or your city how did you leave the gang lifestyle and what advice would you give to to others who are so um, entrenched in wanting to make a change
1: so remember i'm 25 so my 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 thinking and my belief system—there was no healthy outlet for me to um, rely on to sp- solve problems, whether it was emotional mm-hmm. or cognitive. You know, my thinking was was geared toward survival. So, you know, it took quite a few years, but I started to notice that this is not what I want. I, I don't, I don't want to die here. And I'm seeing people die. Like, I'm watching people with liver diseases, like drinking Prono, drinking white lining. And they're telling them, don't drink no more. Your liver's gone. Like, you're going to die. And they're just like, I don't care. And they just, one day they die. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, whoa. You know, and I see people getting shot, people getting stabbed in front of me. So I'm like, I'm not like, I don't fear if I have to do it or participate in it. I just don't want to. I'm like, I don't want this. Like, inside, there was still love in me, you know, that was instilled in me. Like, I wanted my family. I wanted to be with my daughter. I'd, like, I knew that, I knew this was wrong. This was wrong, man. This is not right. And it's crazy because the beef with the bulldog started to happen with the Southsiders. And I remember I was, I had a bulldog next door to me. And he, he was kind of a he kinda li- couple years older than me. And he got on the vent. There's a van where we would communicate. And I remember one day, you know, they, everybody watches everything you do, who you hang out with, with, everything. It's almost like everything's recorded. But I remember he got on my van and told me, hey, I want to start a youth diversion program hmm. in prison on level four. You want to be part of it? I think you would be good, man. You're young. Kids will listen to you. You need to tell them your story. And uh, he was like, I want to put something together to do that work where it's all this stuff that goes on in prison, like that'll be a place where we don't have to do that. So I want to put like a northerner, a southerner, a bulldog, a crib, a blood, you know, the Bay Area. I want all of us to just walk in this room and get along so that we can help these kids. Are you down? Hell yeah. I'm Mm. down, bro. Let's do this. So. We start having these meetings. We get this. Some of the administrative didn't want it to happen. In fact, I did it for 16 years. There was a lot of resistance from custody, but there was always a small few that supported what we did, and we just focused on them. They opened the doors. We started bringing in kids. I worked for probably four years on level four working with kids from L.A. area all the way to Oakland mostly we worked with the central valley corcoran area visalia Tulare. so we're getting a lot of northerner kids and little southerners that they were beefing up there so mostly young chicano kids and i'm like loving it man mm. i'm walking in this room and i'm like telling them my story but more importantly i learned that i had to go and learn how to listen so that they could tell me their story and when they that transition of learning, I'm like, man, it ain't about me. This is about them. And uh, I started learn- learning skills that started coming pretty natural to me. I started reading self-help books. Then I started saying, man, I'm in here getting high in my cell. I'm leaving telling a kid not to do it. I'm coming back to my cell, and I'm drinking Pruno. I'm getting smoking weed. you know, Whatever's going on at the time, I'm still in the yard hanging out with the homies, I'm still willing to participate, but I'm
0: still in the lifestyle. Still
1: in yeah. bullshit mm-hmm. that I'm telling these kids not to do, mm-hmm. and it, it started to affect me. And I was like, I'm a hypocrite. I'm wrong, man. This is wrong. Why can't I go in there and have these conversations with a North Daniel, with a you know, with a black brother, with an Asian dude, you know, with a white guy? Nazi low rider, whatever they are, skinhead. I'm like, we could go in there and communicate when we were kids, but on the yard, we, we can't talk. Like this, like I had to, if it's on, I gotta go get this guy, or he gonna get me. So I'm like, what the hell, what's, what's wrong with this picture? Like, how did this come to be? And I had some older OGs getting in my ears saying, educate yourself. Go to school, get your high did you did you get your high school diploma? No. Go get it. It's right here in front of you. I went back and I was like, dude, I dropped out like in the seventh grade. I'm stupid. School? It's not me. But I'm in level four, locked down all the time, so I get the books and I start reading. And I start reading revolutionary about revolution. I'm reading about Che Guevara, Malcolm X. You know, I'm learning about politics, economics, and I'm like, Bro, the system is doing exactly, like I said. So my mind is starting to open up. I'm starting to get exposed to, like, you know, Black Panthers, you know, Brown Berets. And I'm like, bro, I've been on the wrong side of history. Mm. I'm on the wrong side of history. I'm doing exactly what they want me to do, and I think I'm bucking the system. So... When you ask me that question, how did it happen? Like, I revolutionized my mind. Mm -hmm. I evolved it. And I realized that my captors, the reason they had power is because I gave it to them by my decisions I made. So I started changing my decisions. I started having conversations with these other groups I just mentioned. And um, more and more I started distancing myself from my behaviors that were keeping me there and i graduated high school and i got like really good grades in there i went to college and i was scared to go to college i was like man i'm going to ask my mom if she could buy me these textbooks which are real expensive mm-hmm. so that i could get a college degree you know maybe one day i'll, I'll graduate college in prison that would be really cool And I started having sallies where, like, they were my homies and they were like, come on, fool, let's go to the yard, let's go kick it. And I'm like, hey, I'm gonna stay in, I gotta study. What? Come on, bro, you're always right there reading. And so I'm doing my schoolwork and I'm starting to time it. I'm writing down, like, I'm gonna study my revolutionary stuff for two hours and I'm gonna do four hours of schoolwork. I'm gonna work out and, you know, and I'm gonna go talk to these mentors I have about what I'm learning. You know, I'm learning Mm -hmm. philosophy. You know, I'm learning about the Greeks, and I'm finding out that the Greeks stole all of the stuff that they get recognition from from the Egyptians. You know, and I'm like, dude, this, this is bigger than me, you know? And um, education started to, like, open up these doors and opportunities. Yeah, yeah. I ended up meeting this um, correctional counselor three, which is, like, equivalent to a captain. She was bringing the kids in. And um, one day she pulled me aside and said, Gilbert. What you tell them kids in there? Is it really true? Like, did you really get removed at the age of eight and go through all that stuff? Like, I was still plain innocent. Mm -hmm. Hey, man, I didn't do it. I didn't shoot nobody, you know? Mm -hmm. I got kidnapped, man. It's the system. I was still blaming everybody else. She was, are you really innocent? And I was like, I didn't shoot nobody. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: But I was there. And she was like, that makes you guilty. And I said, I never said I was not guilty. But what they said I did, it's not one hundred percent true. My victims got away, they were gang members, they wouldn't have got on the stand and testified anyways. But the way the trial went down, I have a lot of resentment. There was some racist things that were mentioned that the judge overturned and refused to acknowledge that I have documented Proof of Hmm. that the jury was saying to um, some of his friends that reported him that the only reason he sat there and wanted to convince the other juries was because Mexicans come to this country, fuck it up with gangs, and he wanted to make sure that I got found guilty. So this is going on during my trial, and I ended up finding out after, but um, I changed my life. Education changed my life. Um, I stopped seeing... I started to see people for their color, but to respect them because of it. Mm -hmm. I started to um, have conversations that were way outside of the norm in prison. I started joining study groups in there, and um, it changed my life to the point where I walked away.
0: And w- did your gang let you walk away, or did you? Was there issues with you being able to leave the gang?
1: Yeah, there's definitely issues because it's not like, hey, I don't want to do this no more. I'm out of here, right? Because you, you
0: got jumped in, so I mean, and you were so living the lifestyle for a while.
1: I started to. Um, I was working with the kids, and I also worked in a program office where I could like get rid of write ups. You know, when people get, I could, I could hide them, make sure that they don't get found guilty. So. I was utilized kind of like for that, and I because of the education, I started like lifers were going aboard, and they didn't know about like what insight really meant. Mm-hmm. Like the judges, I mean the uh, commissioners back then were like, "You lack insight, man. What do you mean insight? I know exactly what happened that night of the crime." So I started like teaching lifers, you know, as much as I knew, and hey, you have to learn like about your belief system. You need to learn about like your what risky thoughts you have that led up to you committing many crimes not just the crime that your life crime you have to go in there and talk about that stuff you have to talk about your youth what were that trauma what were the issues you grew up with what were, who taught you all that like what made it okay for you to go in there and kill somebody
0: And with with you being able to now talk and teach people now that you've educated yourself, did that help you to be able to deal with the traumatic experiences and the trauma that you had experienced in your life?
1: Yes. So I started, there was no self-help groups on level four. So I'm reading self-help books that I'm starting to learn to heal myself Mm -hmm. as much as you can because you you need the help. You need the outside help. I need the support group. Um, So this lady I meet, she tells me, I'm transferring you out of here. I'm going to put you in a substance abuse program where you can be a full-time mentor. That's your job. Mm. And I'm like, I don't really know how to do that. She goes, they'll teach you. So I end up going to this drug program in 2008. I stopped using before I even went. I stopped using all all substances, zero. I end up landing on this um, level three yard. And I go to this drug program. And back then, they were thera- what we call TCs, therapeutic communities. So I land there with these therapeutic community where I live in the same building with all these guys that are trying to like get get free, get drug free. I'm sitting in these group of men wearing blues, people in prison, where they're talking about accountability. We need you to tell your story and be take responsibility for all the things you did in your life. I don't care, we gotta sit here for eight hours. And you're gonna get feedback from the men sitting in here that did this work already. And I told my story and they ripped me a new one, man. (laughs) They were like, you don't even take responsibility for for leaving your kid out there. I didn't hear you say that. Mm. And I'm like, they're like, what about all the hurt you caused your family? You're in here playing victim. Oh, man, they, they convicted me. They, I didn't do it. And they're like, that's not the way this works. Yeah. And, man, it was, I had so much anger that day. And I went back to my cell. And I remember the tears coming down again because it was true. And um, that's when I took it to a whole new level because I started going in those rooms and these groups. And men in prison were helping me heal. Yeah. And then they started doing, like, self-help groups like um, anger management. And these are lifers teaching us. And, you know, once in a while they would get, like, a psych to come in there and do, like, 10 weeks. We're going to do once a week. We're going to go on there. And then the administrator would shut it down. Oh, you can't do that. There's liability issues. And they have to be what they call triple CMS, which is the mental health program. And I'm like, like, there's always these issues, you know. The administrator, they would just let us do our thing we would be able to heal. And if they would help, they would heal. You got to remember that R didn't come into CDCR yeah. until I think 2002, 2003. Mm-hmm. And that was like, they didn't know what they were doing. Yeah. They were watching us create
0: rehabilitation.
1: What exists now in the yeah. prison. Yeah. There was no funding for that. You know, and there was no, the substance abuse program was the only thing happening in there, which was Amity Foundation. They had came in in the 90s and started those programs, you know, um, I was fortunate to be part of that I did that program for a whole year I graduated and I got hired I became a mentor mm-hmm. so now I'm in there with great leaders that taught me and they were like you now need to spread this message and you need to heal people yeah and, um, and that's
0: what you've been doing for sixteen years inside the prisons.
1: I worked for sixteen years with at-risk youth while okay. I was in prisons at four different prisons, and then i I worked for thirteen years in the substance abuse program as a mentor. While I was in there, I they created this um, pilot program called the Offender Offender Mentor Certification Program (OMCP). I went in there in a pilot program. They brought outside instructors, which were all doctors, professors, that they flew them in from Boston Medical Center to teach us about trauma. So I'm in there. I graduated this program that took a little under two years, about a year and a half. You're in there five days a week. The uh, Navy comes in there. They teach you counseling skills. So I'm in there five days a week for roughly almost 10 hours a day. Then I take the state exam, and I end up passing Top five percentile of my group. Wow! So I was so happy. Yeah. I'm like, I'm a college student. I got like sixty something units under my belt. I'm thinking now, I'm gonna get a BA. Like, I'm gonna change the world, man. Mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm gonna go out there one day if they ever open the door. I'm gonna be like so ready for the world. Yeah. And um, eventually, uh, in 2018 assembly bill ab 261 passes Mm -hmm. and i had been waiting for this i was like when is a law going to change that addresses my needs Mm -hmm. you know the needs of that i the category i fit in and basically it said anybody under the age of 25 would be eligible after 15 years of incarceration regardless of the amount of time sentence would would be they have two years to take you in front of the board of prison hearings and have commissioners decide if you are rehabilitated enough to get another chance Mm -hmm. to go to the governor to To sign and get out yeah so it passes and i'm so happy i had just met my future wife i'm writing to her while i'm in prison um, for four years i have all this support coming in all the way from chicago my mom's a drug and alcohol counselor youth counselor in Chicago. Southside, I miss so many people. I'm working with Barrios Unidos. Mm-hmm. I'm working with, I'm working with, with, even with custody. You know, they gave me classrooms. I'm teaching anger management, family counseling. I'm doing all this stuff in there. Like the administrators finally catching up. They're giving us, you know, classrooms and they're and we're in there, like we're in there changing the culture of prison. Yeah. You know, major.
0: And showing what rehabilitation really looks like and how, you know, even though where I started from and how it was such a, a a painful past of trauma and hurting other people and victimizing other people doesn't mean that after I've been educated that I can't be a contributing member to society, that I can be re- rehabilitated. And you were able to show that and and be able to show the world as well as CDCR what rehabilitation really means.
1: Definitely. And, um, you know, like I said, there's always opposition. It still exists. Right. Um, but I focused on what I did have and who was willing to help me. And there was so many. I stand on the shoulders of giants, man. Yeah. There was people in the administrative. There was people wearing blues that like went outside of the norm and said, "I believe in you." Yeah. I'm gonna put you on a bus. I'm gonna put you over here. You know, you're gonna all oh, come in this classroom and you're gonna teach these guys. I don't care what they say. We're gonna. I'm yeah. gonna do a memo and we're gonna get. So it did. It happened. Um, A year and a half after AB 261 passes, I I go to my psych hearing. So you have to go see a psych, they do an evaluation, assessment, a threat, future violence. So I'm like, now's my time to focus on me. I have to go in there and tell them what happened in my life. I have to tell them about when I was a kid, how I felt, what I thought, how my belief system was developed, all the trauma that existed, what made it okay for me to hurt people Mm -hmm. from that point forward. And when I did, I went in there and talked about everything. I was in there for over three hours, and um, you never know. Like, I don't know what this psych's gonna, what they're gonna write, what they're gonna say, my future for violence, excuse me. And uh, it's painful.
0: Yeah. Because you're reliving the trauma. So, yeah.
1: I walk out of there about two weeks later. I get this report. It's spotless. It's <laughs> like the perfect report I can expect. I had the lowest. It said lower than the potential for violence is lower than the average person in I'm society. Sure, yeah. So I'm like jumping in my cell. I'm like, all right, everything's lining up. And I got all these letters coming in. Mm-hmm. I got. The chief of police writing that i'm so because i did so much work with right. youth that i did make some connections those very few people i talked about earlier that were willing to stick their neck out and believe in the work we do you know and it's not just me there's so many more there's people that do yeah. even more work than i have ever done that are still stuck in there yeah. you don't do this every day and don't get the same some of the same chances i have been able to get and um some of the stories of people like me that are not being told you know but i go to my hearing bph i'm in there with these two commissioners and i end up finding out that the district attorney's there to you know to represent the people against me that she's she was the supervisor of the da or the prosecutor that prosecuted me oh wow so i'm in this hearing and this all comes out And she's like, how did you feel by I made the decision not to give you um, a deal in your trial? I'm the one that told the prosecutor what to do in your case. I want to know, like, how did that, what what were you thinking? And I turned around and told her, I hated you. I hated the prosecutor, I hated the jury, and I hated the judge, and I hated all the cops that got in there. I hated them because I believed that I blamed you guys for what I did. And I said, um, today, I'm not that person. Today, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. And whether people believe it or whether they accept it doesn't doesn't change the trajectory of the – the path that I walk. Yeah. So my truth is my truth.
0: Yeah. And I'm
1: gonna turn around and I have maturity to say I apologize to the people that I hurt in my life, whether it was victims, whether it was the people in the stores that I robbed. Because when I was in there, I talked about even crimes that I got away with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I said, I'm sorry. You know, If I had the same mind that I had today, I like to believe that I would have walked in there and said, This is what happened. I take responsibility. And if whatever time I got coming, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. Um, because today, that's when I do something wrong, that's how I make it right.
0: Yeah.
1: So we have this whole hearing. The DA that's sitting in there has the last word before they deliberate. So when the commissioner said, Any last words before we make our decision? And the DA turned around and said, The people of LA County do not oppose parole.
0: Wow. Nice. We
1: congratulate you, Gilbert, mm. for all the changes you made in your life. And we hope that one day you can come out here and help your community heal.
0: Yeah.
1: Man, the tears yeah, were like
0: just, Yeah. And
1: I knew Powerful. like there was cleansing there. Mm-hmm. Because it's not that um we work together or we're like one team now or i'm part of the system it's that you know we have an understanding now yeah and um they told me step out we're gonna make the you know we're gonna deliberate so i walked out with my attorney usually they would keep you in there in the little tank for about a half hour sometimes <laughs> an hour and uh five minutes not even five minutes i'm in there talking with my my lawyer and she's telling me you did good man Mm -hmm. i can't believe it like the commissioners i could tell they were receptive to everything you talked about and you couldn't have done anything different gilbert like Mm -hmm. everything that you said it, it was believable and and it's true.
0: I mean, your, your life change was reflected in that. Mm-hmm. And so obviously, you got out. So this where you're, you're here today. So here you are, I think, two years now, right? Two years over two been, years that you've been out. What made you want to go back into prison to do <laughs> work? You know, people are like I've been in for 20 plus years, I am never going to want to go back into prison. So here you are, you're doing work now going back into prison. What made you want to do that?
1: When I was in there, you know, 21 years I spent in prison, part of the part of the um, OMCP that I talked about, part of that education, when they, Governor Brown was the one that signed it into the, uh, put it into effect in the Department of Corrections. And one of the things in there they wrote was that if you graduate, you could come back whether you're on parole or not and work in the prison. And for me, I was like, this reminded me of play, uh, Plato's allegory, The Cave. Mm. So I'm thinking, bruh, this is Plato's allegory. I use this to teach. <laughs> like I, I've acted this out in classrooms, in front of audiences. I'm like, I get to be the guy that walked out of the cave, seen the truth, and came back despite the ridicule and put down and disbelief by my own people. And what I mean by my people is like people that are incarcerated. Um, and I get to tell them like, there's a way you know, there's a way around that round, around that around that wall, around that fire, and you could come out, man. You don't have to live like that. So I was like pumped up when I was in there, and then there was a part of me that said, "I don't ever want to come back." Like I hate this place. It, it was there was so much hurt and pain that w- that came along with it. And when I walked out those doors, man, it was it was like this. You know, I cried, man. My mom, my daughter, my grandma picked me up, but. I came out and I jumped right in the field, man. I'm working in um, methadone clinic. I'm working in doctor's office. You know, I'm working in crisis units where people are coming off the street, and like, I'm working next to psychiatrists that are like can't get through to these kids, and they're like, we have this kid that came in from foster care, and they're like, they don't want to talk, they don't want to answer no questions. I said, let me go in there, and I'm walking in rooms like this, sitting down with kids, and like within five minutes, I bring in the psych, and they're receptive to whatever their needs are and the doctors and all these people are like how did you do that Mm. and I'm like you know why because you guys rely on what you learned in the book right? and what you learned in the book I don't put down because I also learned in that book but I'm going to tell you man there's too much stuff outside of the book that they don't understand they're not willing to accept and it's life experience Yes, and we bring it into this room and instead of locking us off out of these rooms and not allowing us to have a seat at the decision table, open that door and if you could believe in me, there's other people behind me that are willing to come in here and do this work. So when I started doing that work and I was working, I eventually, you know, I'm at this job and I, I get these other job opportunities and I get job offers all the time and they're like, I have to go in and put my two week notice. Like, hey, I'm gonna move on. Like, my career is is evolving. I'm moving forward, and I didn't. I wasn't like I'm gonna go work in a prison. <laughs> that, that was not in my mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the possi- I knew the option was there. Mm-hmm. I get a call one day. I'm working at the crisis unit from the prison. They're like program directors. Like, hey, Gilbert, I'm so and so man. Your name keeps coming across my desk. A lot of people talk about you. Why don't you come and work for me? Here's the pay. This is what it works. And I already know what counselor's doing there. I worked in there for 13 years. So it's stressful. It's a stressful job. There's still a lot of disparity between custody and people that are helpers. There's a lot of people that don't want to see it happen. So I'm like, man, do I really want to deal with that? And uh, so I I declined it. I told Mm -hmm. him, you know what, man, I appreciate it. I decline it because, not because I'm arrogant or nothing like, it has nothing to do with that, but I need more time out here. I, I, I need to, like, I need to learn how to use a computer. I need to learn how to use this phone. I need to know how to, when I go in there and document, like, in these programs and all these pro. And I'm learning all of this. I'm learning all of this stuff out here. And, you know, going to get a driver's license, going to get a bank account, going to get, like, pay bills. Like, I still rely on my wife for a lot. Like, just today driving over, she's like, you know you could pay that, too. And I'm like, I know, but, <laughs> like i appreciate her like my my transition to to my freedom i attributed a lot to her she deals with a lot of the frustration that comes out because i'm not always this happy and Mm -hmm. go getting guy you know i (laughs) i still get frustrated where i'm like ah i can't do this you know simple things like changing you know a flat tire like i I didn't have a dad i didn't change the oil i didn't like I didn't do none of that stuff. I, I I could tell you I could make a stinger in prison. I could make a knife. I could show you where to hide it. I could I could split up dope. I could get shit out from one building to the other one. I mm. could make I could fish under my door. I could I could do things that if I put you in the cell you would fail at. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to things like out here, I had to relearn that. So I declined that, and I you know and I told him maybe a little bit more down the line. A year later. He called me again, and I'm having a lot of interaction with a lot of the guys that I went to school with, because they're they're also working in the I believe there's ten of us right now across the state, and um, I get the call again, and I was like, "It's time." Hmm. Like I made a promise actually to the guys I left behind when I left prison. They had a program in a substance abuse C- program called um, LTOP, Long yeah. Term Offenders Program. I was the I was the only one, the only mentor that taught that group, and it was all lifers. And the program director said, Gilbert, I want you in that group. So I want you to start it, set it all up, and then train the other mentors to do what you do. Because this is new, and the state doesn't really know what they're going to do with it. They want to see, can it work? And I, they told me, this is the curriculum. So I got the curriculum, and I interpreted based off the needs that we need to get free. Yeah. And um when I left, man, I had made so many this is, I'm getting emotional right now. But I made so many um relationships with men that um, they're stuck. You know, um the governor won't let them. <laughs> Don't let them out. Mm. The, um, and these are guys that have similar stories. They got trauma. Like, that's how they dealt with it. And the negative decisions they made that caused them to have that amount of time in prison. Yeah, a lot of them, like, murdered somebody. But they didn't get sentenced to death. And some of them been in there over 30 years, 40 years. And a lot of these guys are the humblest people person you'll ever be they have the power to heal to um, be productive in the changes we need out here in our communities but commissioners won't let them go there's political reasons yeah. there's economical reasons yep. there's historical reasons mm-hmm. and that's the things that they will not say in those hearings yeah. but if you go in there or if you know people that I'm talking about, if you go visit them, if you have any if you write them, you will know that what they're doing is those stories are rarely being told are and they
0: they're truly changed men
1: and um when I left, it was hard
0: mm-hmm.
1: because I told them they were like, Thank Gilbert, if anybody deserves it, it's you mm-hmm. You have so many people, man, that got out before you. And um, you never, like, said, oh, why are they letting him out? Why don't they let me out? You know, I hugged them, embraced them when they would leave. And I did the same thing when I left, and I told them, I promise you, man. And I had them in those classrooms, many classrooms. I taught in after hours. I taught in L-Top. And the guys I lived with in the building, I lived in the building for 10 years in that prison, you know, for 10 years straight. You know, I knew, I seen every cop come through there. And I told him, I promise you, man, that I'll do everything I can. I'll write you guys letters to the board. I'll speak for you every chance I get, I'll fight. And maybe one day I'll come back and work in here mm. with you and have the keys, yeah. <laughs> not the keys to run the yard, but to walk in and out the front door. And I did, you know. So when I got that second call to go work in the prison, I I accepted it. And I put in my two-week notice at my other job. And they said, don't leave, man. You stay on call and come whenever you can. Mm-hmm. We appreciate what you did here. And you changed a lot of people here. Because I was the only one. I worked on a crisis team on the front of the lines that they never met nobody. Like, they never had somebody in life-term person in prison yeah. come out here and work on a team with a with a nurse, with a, with a crisis intervention specialist, with psychiatrists, with psychologists, with doctors. They never, and they were like, they loved, you know, everything I did and I was like, okay, so I still worked there but I took the full time and I remember walking through the prison my first day, you know, I got my ID, I had to show it and, you know, I get the keys for it, and I get this alarm in case something mm-hmm. goes on. And I'm like, I don't want the alarm. Man. <laughs> like, I'll never push that yeah, alarm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I walked in there, and you know, I I walked in that classroom, and I knew that that's sort where of the magic, like all the magic that helped me change my life, it mm-hmm. happened in those rooms may not have been that room yeah but those rooms are across the state right now and even as we're talking there's somebody like me and they're helping people change their life no matter what crime they committed to go to prison and um they're helping people get free right here and right here yeah so i walked in there and i felt that energy and um my way of giving back and that promise I made is by going in there and um, giving my everything. Yeah. And I get to see guys go home. I get to see guys change. And, you know, these guys in my group and they're talking about stuff and they're just like, I can't. Like so many people want to be in my group. And, um, you know, it's just mad respect, man. Yeah. You know, these guys respect me and they're like, you're the only counselor here, you know, and I talk to them and. You know, I shake their hand and that that human touch. You know, they're like, hey, you know, they all this training, like, hey, they're 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 trying to manipulate you. They're trying to make you bring a cell phone. They're trying to make you bring dope and tobacco and be careful. And I'm like, I do what I have to do. I follow the rules of the prison because rules belong everywhere, and I know that because I'm changed. So I follow all the rules, but it doesn't say I can't shake your hand as a man.
0: Because you're still a person You're not a number Exactly You're a person
1: And I call him by their first name Yeah Hey Joe, I appreciate your honesty today in group
0: Yeah
1: Keep doing it And one day you're going to get free And when you're going to be with your daughter Yeah And um, they're just like They're amazed walking down They want to like stay right there And I'm like You got to go bro <laughs> Like the cop standing right there You know And I'm just like You know And we have those deep conversations in group about drugs You know the addiction is is ugly, you know. And mental health, man, it's there's so many people depressed in there, and it's like the help they get is not the help they need all the time. It's like here, take this med, you know. Mm-hmm. Here's some rim run, and they're all dosed up. Right now, we're dealing with suboxin, you know, and they're dosing people at 23 milligrams of suboxone It's like here, wants some suboxin and. I'm like, you don't get some boxing for people with meth problems, with alcohol problems, depression problems. Like, that's for opioids. Um, people fought so that the people that suffer from heroin addiction in prison, because it exists hardcore, like, people fought for they could have that treatment, and it gets abused every day, you know. And I got guys that sit in my group, and they're, they're highly dosed, you know. So I give that kind of counseling, man, and the, the, not everybody does yeah and i'm trying to like tell them like you're bro the system is part of the system you know these, these uh, pharmaceuticals they it's make a lot of money do, yeah. they want you dosed up man you ain't reading you ain't learning about how malcolm x got free in prison you know you ain't learning those kind of things you you ain't reading about philosophy and are you reading those journals they're not in the library Guess what There's journals Outside of the books That they You know You're in here reading Jackie Collins and shit Like don't <laughs> waste your time bro yeah. And um Anyways There's There's um Going back in the prison Has been Fulfilling Um But I'll tell you I You know I don't plan on staying there hmm. You know I'm fulfilling some promises I'm fulfilling My journey But um I'm open yeah. I'm open to other possibilities. My heart is with youth. That's where I started with. And, um, you know, today I go and I'm part, I work in my community. Same thing I did in prison. You know, I did school. I, my my career was in substance abuse. And then after hours, I taught groups. I taught classes. I had a class. I taught Life Cycle. Life Cycle is very popular in um CTF and solid Dad, so I taught those groups for many years the age of 18 to 25 you know and that was big part of AB 261 passed because all these educated people were saying you know that your brain
0: f- isn't developed
1: my brain's not yeah dude you're working with a with a dysfunctional brain that mm-hmm. has not developed and um, you have to consider that when they made decisions at a young age their consequential thinking scientifically has not developed. Yeah,
0: that part of their brain has not developed until 26.
1: And um, that's what we bring, working with youth. So we that's book, that's book smart, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So we have the book smart. We understand that. But we also didn't pass that age and those experiences, those hurts, pains, trauma, we bid through it. Yeah. So we have a different way of communicating with youth. And that's, that's my goal is to get... Um, get in that field i also work like i said work in my community i'm a brown beret the san Bernardino unit so my unit goes and we feed people that live on the streets that are you know homeless we go out there and we give them clothes when they don't have shoes give them blankets in the winter um we go out there and show them where the resources are and um you know, when the police are out there abusing our people, we're going to go out there and stand in front of the police department and support the families. You know, there is there is no support. You know, my brother was murdered in uh, 2018, a year before I came home by the L.A. County Sheriff. So I know what it's like to lose a family member um, and getting that news when I still had a life sentence right before I'm about to go home. You know, and I call home and my mom is screaming. My daughter's screaming on the phone. And my brother suffered from addiction that he, you know, he did 14 years in prison, mostly all in the security housing unit, level four. And his way of dealing with the trauma and the problems was through drugs. Unfortunately, he came home and never got the same help that I was able to get. And he lost his life to an officer that doesn't understand addiction, doesn't understand trauma, doesn't understand, like, schizophrenia. And people, when they panic, when they see law enforcement and they, you know, they run or they, they, you know, they fear. There's so much fear there. And my brother was um, gunned down by the L.A. County Sheriff t- March 18, 2018. Mm-hmm. So my way of giving back to those other families and fighting for them is... You know, I put on my beret, just like they we've been doing for over fifty years, and I go out there and march with a, and my unit. It's highly educated, you know, we got a lot of females. They got degrees, UCLA masters degrees, um, and they work in the field of helping, you know, mental health. So I'm proud of that. That's why I wanted to mention it, and yeah. um, that's my way of giving back in the community, working with kids, showing them, being a good example, being a role model. And um, I I look forward to what the next chapter is in my life. Absolutely. I want to write a book.
0: Yeah, man. You definitely could. (laughs) Well, we can't just meet at the table and not share a meal together. So I asked Gilbert what he wants to eat, and he's like, as long as it's not seafood, I'll eat it. So (laughs) I made him a special dish, and I'm going to go grab that right now. Okay, so I made Gilbert a farfalli pasta with uh, garlic and onion, uh, homemade meatballs, and parmesan, fresh parmesan cheese. So go ahead and take a bite and let me
1: know what you think. Awesome. (laughs) It's definitely not a spread. (laughs) A spread? (laughs) A prison spread. Oh, I was like, what's a spread? Top ramen. (laughs) All right. Oh, man, I love meatballs.
0: Mm. (laughs) do i pass the gilbert test
1: Mm. (laughs) that was definitely worth (laughs) retelling the story
0: good yay definitely
1: man i really thank you and you know eating food is a You know, it's big culturally. Mm -hmm. You know, for many different cultures, it's the way that they um, connect. Yeah, absolutely. They they eat together, and um, I really appreciate that. You know, that was when you first told me, "Like, what do you want to eat?" I was like, "Ah, "You don't owe me nothing. Like, (laughs) don't, don't, don't worry about it. Like, I'll go there and do whatever you need me to do Mm -hmm. because it's the right thing, and and I believe in the cause. What you do to help people." So I was like, yeah, don't worry about it. But now that I ate, I'm like, wow. I would have knew this was on the menu, I would have been like, you know those meatballs you've been talking about? (laughs) Like, let's try that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But thank you. I appreciate it very much. It's
0: it's my absolute pleasure, truly. It's It's been an honor having you on. If you could tell your younger self something, knowing who you are today, what would you tell your younger self?
1: If... You know I've answered this question many times and it seems like the, it, my answer changes just depending mm-hmm. on you know, who's asking the question and kind of like what I'm going through at the time or who I'm working with. But I would definitely say today that to stay in school, like graduate, get in college, and knock it out as fast as you can and get you know find a career that you're gonna enjoy life and you're gonna help people and um you know you gotta find that is it's not what somebody else wants you to do or what they believe was you should be doing is um you know stick to that man And and that life is gonna it's gonna throw all kind of things at you. You know, things are gonna feel right. Things are gonna feel wrong. Different people are gonna come into your life. You're gonna get hurt. You're gonna um, be disappointed. But don't get stuck there. Don't get stuck there. And um, you know, utilize your resilience. Uh, overcome it. But don't make those bad decisions when you're when you're down. Because there's there is some consequences that um you may not be able to um, ever come back to and i say that because my daughter she was 25 when i came home Mm -hmm. and she's about to be 27 this month and i never got to take her to school and hold her hand that first day of school I never got her to see her kick the soccer ball on the team I never got to sit in the audience and make sure she sees me out there when she graduated from preschool elementary junior high high school college yeah. and when she you know her heart was broken I wasn't there to you know support her and I can never get that back and I see the consequences of that Exist today in our relationship. And that's probably the one thing since I came home that I, you know, I haven't been able to feel that it's good. Mm. The relationship is good. It's, it's I'm constantly battling all the consequences the of the separation, the hurt, pain that I caused. So... To my young self, be careful of those decisions you make because there's always somebody that's going to get hurt, and it's usually the person that loves you the most and needs you in their life.
0: Yeah.
1: That, that has been, that would be my advice.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, Gilbert, it has been truly an honor and such an amazing story that you have and th- just the wonderful things that you're doing in life and giving back and seeing how education has just opened up this huge world to you and seeing how you can be able to share that to others who go- are going through the same path that you have um, and and all of the good that you're doing. And I just uh, commend you for all of the work that you've done and all the help that you're doing. Do you have a website or an email, any way that people can get in contact Contact you th- with you um, if they want to be able to to talk to you more about the work that you do.
1: Definitely, um, I'm on social media. Okay, you know that was that's new to me, but I use it as a positive outlet. Um, I go by my first and last name on Facebook, and I mostly post, you know, my journey with my mm-hmm. wife, my journey with my family, and the, the work I'm doing. Um, I try to document it with pictures. I, I I go hiking and biking and camping and, you know, I fought a bear a couple of weeks ago. Oh
0: my! <laughs> oh, oh my. <laughs> yeah, real stuff, man.
1: <laughs> but um, um, you know, I do that to show the people, all the people I worked with over the years, that I don't get to see every day. Is that's how we stay connected. On Instagram, I go by True Skywalker One. Um, I'm a Star Wars fan.
0: Is it the number one or number, the
1: s- just like a one, like the okay. number one? I'm a Star Wars fan. You know, I could relate to the story, <laughs> and the, the conflict, and the, you know, good and bad. And um,
0: okay, so they can follow you on Facebook and, and Facebook, Instagram. And Instagram.
1: My My um, email is my last name, my first name, which is, and then seventy three, my my birthday. At um, so it's B A O G I L B E R T. 73 at gmail.com um, you know I, if working with kids you need I go into schools I talk in elementaries I've spoken um, some colleges you know and if it's for kids man I, I don't mind doing it I'll schedule it in I do I do that I, I like to do that work for free you know mm-hmm. I believe that we need more people like you that give the exposure to do that do this kind of help. Uh, we need to do it as a community. Yeah. This is not all about people that just did life in prison. Mm-hmm. This is professors, um, people that work in the communities, people that have the media outlets. You know, um, We need to come together and sit at that table because we have the solution to the problem. There mm-hmm. is a solution. Mm-hmm. People think, well, the, it, crime will always be there. Drugs will always be there. Yeah, you know why? Because it was designed by people. And it's doing exactly what it's supposed to do because to there's a down. lot of money involved. Mm-hmm. So when we start when we start talking about change, we're affecting people's money. And it's the people that don't have our best interests at heart. Pharmaceuticals, a big part of it. Mass incarceration, you know, the drugs that come into our communities. Mm-hmm. There's there's no way with the technology we yep. have today yep. that there should be this many drugs in our community. Those guns, why are they if always stolen? Mm-hmm. Right? So there's there's a lot of work to be done, but we need to come together and That's do it. Right. And I appreciate you. Thank you for having me here yes. and my wife over yes. here. <laughs> she I could tell she's she she loves the meatballs yeah. too. <laughs> <laughs> and um, anytime yes. we could come back together and do some kind of work,
0: I'm um,
1: open to it. And um, I thank you very much.
0: Yes. Thank you so much, Gilbert. Truly appreciate it. Thank you guys so much for watching this episode of Breaking Bread. Make sure to check us out at lockedin.info to see all of the th- all of the things that we are continuing to do to make sure that people live better lives and have justice. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.